Anthony asked me a question this morning. He said, are we going to be in John? <laughs> yep. We're going to be in John for some time. We have, let's see, we've had three weeks where we did something other than John. There's 21 chapters. We're in the second message on chapter 5. We're going to be in 19 through 29 today, and this is our 17th week. So 14 so far out of John. <laughs> We're going for, you know, a couple hundred. Um, I promise I'm not going to, probably not going to be like my, my buddy. I got a buddy down in North Carolina and uh, one of my mentors, and he was in John for three and a half years. I don't know that we'll be in John that long, um, but uh, he did, and then Revelation for two years. So um, that's, he's, he's a lot smarter than me. So <laughs> he's a tremendous teacher and preacher. So, but we are going to obviously spend time here, Anthony, for a while, Okay. John's purpose, as we've stated most weeks that we've been in this book, is giving the story of Jesus. Nothing new. We know this. It's the worldwide identity. He's throwing Jesus out there in our faces. He wants, to go, he wants us to know, here he is. Here's the Son of God. Here's the Messiah. Here's who we've been looking for. This is him. This is Jesus. In the first part of the book, as we said last week, Jesus wasn't really accepted and loved. He had a small group of following. It was a big group, but it wasn't... It wasn't a, a monstrous following like some of the other people had. It definitely wasn't the entirety of the Jewish nation or any of the Gentiles that were following at this time. But he was somewhat accepted, even though his, he was never truly received into his own people in a big manner. But we said last week that in this chapter 5, Jesus starts putting his foot down. He starts making different, differentiating himself from the Jewish leaders. And he makes enemies. And this is where they truly begin to hate him and outwardly disdain him and take action against him. It all stems from this area right here, from chapter 5 on. So let's dive right in. We're actually, I'm going to read real quick 17 and 18 from last week. Because we got a new computer this week, which is really nice since the laptop um, went gone dead. No more, no more love from that thing at all. But the problem is we, didn't have, we don't have PowerPoint uploaded onto it yet, so the, the PowerPoint for today is, is not going to be there. Um, it wasn't a whole lot of extras anyway, uh, so it's hopefully, if I won't be as, I know the picture helps my boredom sometimes, but hopefully it won't be too bad. I want us to look at a word in verse 17, the word Sabbath, and remember that, how important that word is from last week. Let's quickly read 17 and 18, and then we'll read um, 19 through 29. 17 and 18 said, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath, the only law that they had held to. Remember, they had really held to this law. Not the only law, but they had made it an idol. We talked about that last week. They made it this, this, this one law that would, for them was their ultimate in their righteousness. But Jesus answered said, My father is working until now, and I am working. Verse 18 is our cruxed position verse of all of Scripture for why the Jews turned completely. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath... But he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Verse 19, your Bible, if you, have, if you have one that has little titles in it, it may say the authority of the Son. It may say um, Jesus' authoritative stand or something along those lines. So it starts here in verse 19. It's his defense. So let's go ahead and start reading. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. 
and greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. And all may honor that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but passes from death to life. It's a pretty, pretty important verse there. Verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is here now, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in him, so he has granted the Son also to have life have, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have gone done good to the resurrect to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. May I God his blessing to his word today. This morning we stand with Jesus as he is being accused. <clears throat> we stand with him as he is in the face of pressure. Reminds me a lot, and I had a conversation about this with somebody, I may have been actually here, but um, it reminds me a lot of Moses standing before Israel. And the people are saying, rebel against him, let's kill him, let's just take up quarters with these, uh, with these foreign people, let's just be done with this God thing. And Moses standing in front of the tabernacle, and the, it says the glory of God shone throughout the tabernacle and lit the sky. <laughs> Man, that's some kind of, that's some kind of uh, a backing he has there. That's some kind of a huge support system that Moses gets. Well, Jesus doesn't get the bright light of God the Father shining around him, but what he does have is he, he stands here knowing full well that this pressure that he's under is nothing compared to the backing that he gets from Christ, from the Father, I'm sorry. It is nothing compared to what the Father is putting on him and the pressure that, that the Father has to hold him there and to stand with him and to be equal with him. It's nothing different than that. And that's why we sang this morning, um, if, 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 if God stands for us and is before us, and who can ever stop us? That's where Jesus is at. He's at this position that we find ourselves at at times. Do we stand for Christ or not? The big difference is Christ here is being accused of making himself God. Well, it's because it's what he's did. First, they were angry because he, he did work on the Sabbath. He healed someone on the Sabbath. To the Jews at this time, leave the Sabbath alone. Let the man die in his sickness. Don't heal him on that day. Because that man had to then carry his bed and you caused him to sin against the law. What a joke. So in this passage, what we see is Jesus accused of him making himself equal with Yahweh, with God the Father. And Jesus' response, if I had to sum it up, and let's see, one, two, three, four, five words. You ain't seen nothing yet. That, that's what Jesus tells them. He says, just wait. You just sit back and watch a little while. Because not only am I making this claim 
I'm going to show it to you. Not only am I saying I'm equal with him who sent me, watch what else I'm getting ready to say. So this is a cross-examination of Jesus, and he is his own defense attorney. And he goes right at the carotid artery of the, of the prosecution. He goes right after their stance. He says, I, you know what? I know better than you how to defeat you. And here's what it is. Now, ultimately, if someone asks me, wait, wait, wait a minute, how can you say that? Because Jesus ended up dying on a cross. I say, and he won. Because <laughs> he walked out. <laughs> he defeated it. We have that salvation because of it. But he says, you ain't seen nothing yet. That's good English, by the way. You say you talk to me like that, I'm good with you. Jesus says to them, they accuse him in verse 18. They said, we hate him now, we're going to kill him. This is our only goal. Because he's claimed to make himself equal with the Father. And the thing that we don't see here is this is obviously a conversation. You don't, verse 18 doesn't look like a quoted passage, but Jesus immediately responds to their statements of we want to kill him. For doing this, whether it is once again much like when Jesus heals the lame man, he calls out the, 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 the Pharisees for their thoughts. I don't know if it's that kind of situation or if it's a verbalized situation where they're going, all right, let's get him now. And he says, okay, hold on. I got to tell you some more. And he says this. He says, I tell you the truth. Listen here close. You know, when I sit in front of the kids, I look at my face. Right now. Right? That's what Jesus is doing here. He says, hey, truly, truly, look right here. i got something to tell you. I'm not just simply claiming something. I'm going to tell you that I've got a special relationship with God that you'll never have. Well, it's not quite what he says. Because verse 24, he tells us exactly how to have it. But we'll get there. In verse 19, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only that with the fa- but he sees the father doing for whatever the father does the son does likewise side note dads scary idea dads and let's be honest moms our sons and daughters are going to do what we do they act like we act they're going to say what we say let's clean it up okay back to Jesus he's talking about the father he says to him he says not only am i claiming to be with him and from him and one with him, I'm, I'm claiming to have a direct line to where I get to watch how he handles things and I'm going to do what he does. What is really cool, I want us to understand, one of the big arguments against Jesus from the outside world is that he was not God. Okay? If he is not God, then he is a liar, which some people will say he was, or he was a lunatic, which there are people who say he was. So he's one of three. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. He's God. And being co-equal with God as part of the Trinity, we have to understand, though, there is still a difference between God the Father and God the Son. This is so important, and I wish I was better at explaining this concept. Um, there's some great, great work by a man named um, Bruce. I, I can't think of his first. F.F. Bruce. And, and, and the, the, explaining the divinity of the Trinity and how it all functions. and They are all one equally, but they have different roles that they play and and different things that they do. So in divinity, Jesus is equal to the Father. But in His function, Jesus is subordinate to the Father. It's confusing, but we have to see it here because it's exactly what Jesus says. Jesus says, I'm not doing anything under my own power yet. I'm doing everything under the power of the Father. 
and I'm doing what he has shown me to do and is leading me and telling me to do. Which tells me and you that Jesus' perfection, his perfect life was lived because he was so in line with the Father. And that's where his deity came from. But it tells us that in his function, in Jesus' function was to be a physical being on this earth. And to show and to lead and to touch and to do the will of the Father. It was a, sub, it was a submissive position to the Father. So he's saying, though we are equal, functionally I am subordinate to him as his son, just like you guys understand father and son. Let me explain it a little more simply. We understand father and son, right? God knew how simply we are and how much we needed to understand. The reason he is referred to as father and son is not because of the physical birth of Jesus. It's because for us, the necessity of the visualization of understanding. God the Father is the head. And they are co-equal. But they have different roles. So it's not an equality. You know what it reminds me of? The house, the home, the way it's supposed to run. The Trinity is the most beautiful picture of a... Of Marital relationship, friendship relationships, church relationships. It's, it's the perfect imagery of everything for us. So he's telling them, I am, I am working with the Father. I am working for the Father. He never claims his independence from God, which, by the way, is something every other, air quotes here, prophet outside of the Israelite prophets, every other um, leader of a religious movement has come out. They always were distanced from the Father. David Koresh is the great example of claiming that he was the newborn Jesus, the rebirth of Jesus, but he was no longer, he was equal and above the new because he was running a new, he was rewriting a new Christianity. See, Jesus didn't do that here. Matter of fact, this lines up so greatly with what the Jews would have taught that, a, that a, a spirit from the Father would be like. It would line up with what the Father does. It would be dependent upon the Father because if Jesus were to be independent, he would, be, he would have his self-determined human actions would come into play. It's really important that we see this. 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 28 tells us this again. It says, When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him, the Father, who put all things in subjection under him. Four words, four times the word subjection, right? What it says is everything's under the Father. Jesus was under the Father. God the Father put everything else under Jesus. So there we get equality and submission. It says that God may be, in, be all in all. So in context, Jesus is logically implying that the father who led the sick back in Israel is the same father that's leading him to heal now. It's the same father that's doing the same miracles of leading through the desert. It's the same one that he's saying, follow me. See, Jesus has the ability here to, to be that, that two different positions. We have that ability. We just aren't good enough at it. <laughs> and we sure can't become deity. Hey, there's some people out there that teach that, though. What we're seeing here, though, is the importance of Jesus saying, not only am I saying I'm equal with God, I'm saying I'm doing all of His work as His subordinate worker. My function is under Him. 
now let's fight. Now he says, let's go to the mat. Let's do this. Let's go at it now. Here we go. And he starts pouring into them all these things that they haven't seen yet and haven't thought of. Verse 20, For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing and greater works than these will He show Him so that you may marvel. He says, not only am I here claiming to be like God the Father, not only claiming to be one with Him and to be working for Him, He has given me supernatural providence to know all and see all. I've got it. Everything he knows and sees, he's giving to me. Which, which, by the way, this verse is why in my mind's eye, Jesus is reading what they're thinking. I hope. I don't know that, guys. That's not part of what we're teaching here. But it's amazing that he's, he's calling out his own omnipotence here and his own supernatural powers. He says, the, the providence that I have is the truth that God is the grand orchestrator and the grand weaver of all these things. And he's working out a perfect plan. And I get to be the executor of that plan. Jesus at this moment knew of his own death. He knew what he was going to go through for us. He knew what was going to happen on that cross. And yet he says, I'm here to submit to that father and be the executor of his will. That is amazing. What if? What if we said we love Jesus so much that we would be willing to sit under him and be the executor of the father's will in this world? What might happen? Guys, the only reason none of us have led someone to the Christ this month or this year or this week is because our pride stops us from doing it. Nothing else. That's me too. I'm not. I'm mad at myself. I've taken a call on God on my life to stand and teach God's word to people. So why am I not so into a position of of truth in God that I say, God, let me be the execu- executor of all of Your will, not the executioner. That's what I really am. <laughs> I am the executioner of His will. Why am I not saying, God, let me be the one that works it out for You? functionally use my hands and my feet and my lips and my ears and my eyes to reach and do and tell. Not just do, but to tell. That's what Jesus is doing here. I love the second part of this verse. He says, And greater works than these He will show Him so that you will marvel. He is, not, he is doing two things right here. He is say, he's forecasting His own death and resurrection. He is forecasting our salvation. i got better things to do. What better than healing someone of, of lameness? What better than healing somebody of being deaf or blind or leprosy is healing their spiritual state? The love that we see here between the Father and the Son is a remarkable picture. Of the Father revealing Himself to us through this Son. Verse 21 says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. Whoa, mind-blowing, right? If you're a Jew, nobody compares themselves to Yahweh. We ought to see that. When we see... How do you say this nice? Hold on, I've got to think of it. If you cut your TV on or your radio on, and somebody is claiming on either of those, and they are a man or a woman or um, whatever, and they are speaking, claiming Scripture, and they claim that they have now no longer are a sinner at all, and they've never sinned since they got saved, or they claim to... Um, have a, a, an equality to God, which there are some doing that, or that you can be smile really big enough to get to the equal feeling of having God being part of God Himself, which is the new twist on one of them. If you're you know, happy enough, you'll get there. Um, if we hear that as believers that claim we believe this Bible, it ought to blow our minds because we ought to know it's not true. 
Well, the Jews here in their own teaching have been looking for the Messiah to say these things. And yet their mind is blown because they're not only they're, 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 they're stuck between a rock and a hard place of looking for this, but not wanting it to be. Which doesn't really make sense, or at least not wanting Jesus to be. So their mind is blown because he says here, hey, the Father raised the dead and gives them life. Amazing, right? Me too. <laughs> what? But what's amazing to me here is Jesus is saying, I'm not only gonna, I don't only have the, the power through the Father to raise the life physically, but I also have it spiritually. This claim would have blown them away. They didn't even consider the raising of the dead as a possibility with the Messiah. They're not looking for a savior. They're looking for another king. Some of the historical writings come out of Israel named the Messiah a new Saul. A new Saul? Did they not remember him? Did they not remember his trash? I, heard, I read one where I said that maybe they should have said a new David, but then again, we know the sin of David. Well, the next Elijah. Do you not remember him running and hiding? Do you not remember his weakness and his faith? See, they're not looking for this Messiah. So this blows their minds. He says, I'm being an instrument in the hands of God. I'm being an instrument for him. And I'm going to have power over the dead. And here's how. Verse 22, the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. What? He's the judge of all mankind. He's the Son of Man, which in that states, from Him all judgment funnels down. He has effectively come to functionally live as the judge. And what a loving judge He is. Along, along the lines of this verse, we see Philippians 2, 9-11 through 11 says, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. Here it is, guys. Here's how He's the, son, here's how he's the judge. So that the name of, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, the glory of God the Father. That's how he's a judge, not as a harsh ruler, but there's harshness in his message. We'll see that in a minute. Verse 23 says that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Basically, Jesus said... Because of what I've told you, because of what I'm confessing to you, because of what I'm showing you about who God the Father is and who I am as Jesus, you, you're going to worship me. Now, if I stood up here and said you're going to worship me, you guys could throw my faults at me. <laughs> you could tell me what I do wrong. You know my sin. You know there's things in me. You know that I'm not perfect. If I started all of a sudden claiming to be Jesus, shackle me down, Right? But they've never heard this type of thing. And, and Jesus says, he's telling them that it's a, it, right out of Isaiah, where Isaiah says that the Father will send the Son in honor. And he's, he's basically quoting to them their own scripture. And they're not seeing it. The honor here is worship. It's acknowledgement. It's authority. It's deity. It's, it's cherishment of who he is. And he's saying you're going to have to do these things. If you honor Jesus, we get connectedness and unity with the Father. That's what he's trying to tell them, guys. So therefore, that's what he's trying to tell us. If we honor Jesus with our lives, we get unity with the Father. We become that sonship. We become that adopted heir. 
And then we, when we have that, yeah, we can dis, uh, be, be, be inharmonious at times and we can, we can lose our honor at moments. But if we come back to it, we restore that relationship to the Father. And Jesus is telling them, guys, here's the deal. He sent me to be this. I want you to know the Father for real. If you can learn to honor what He sent me to do, you will honor the Father. This is true regarding who we are today. It reminds me a little bit of the ideas of an ambassador. You know, one of the translations for who the Holy Spirit is kind of comes out as ambassador. An ambassador in our world today doesn't always have the highest of regard or light. But if we send a, a U.S. ambassador overseas to a country and that country honors him and takes him in and, and does what he's sent to do, allows him to do his work, they've honored our country. That's the concept of ambassador. It's the concept of the ambassadorship and what they do. In this passage, that's, Jesus is coming and he's like, I'm the greatest ambassador because I'm coming from the greatest of places. I'm from the Father. Are you going to honor him? And then Jesus gives a collective message. He gives the greatest of the Gospels right here. He lays the Gospel clearly out in verse 24. He says, okay, I'm told... I'm not, only, I'm not only doing work on the Sabbath. I'm not only healing people. I'm not only claiming to be from the Father. I'm not only claiming to have the authority. Listen to what I have to say now because you're dying in your sin. Truly, truly, remember, look at me, listen. I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who has, sent, who has eternal life, he does not come into judgment but passes from death to life. This is the splendid promise of hope. This is the splendidness of the gospel. This is reconciliation. This is righteousness revealed. This is grace poured out. Hear it. Believe it. Have faith in it. Follow it. Done. It's way simpler than people have made it. And yet it's one of the most difficult truths to ever grab hold to. Because we can claim it. We can claim to have it. But our lives reveal it. But what Jesus says here, he's not putting that out right now. He does that in a few minutes. He says, this is all it takes. And there will be no judgment for carrying your bed on the Sabbath. There will be no judgment for questioning who I am as as the Son. You'll have the opportunity to live for the Father and have the Father's life in you. Romans 10.9, we probably all know this verse, either by heart or just by recognition. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will... Be saved. Guess where Romans 10.9 came from? The words of Jesus in John 5.24. John wrote these things so that we might believe in Jesus. Jesus is laying out His own gospel invitation here. Today, we understand how important the cross is for our salvation. We understand the importance of the blood that was poured for our salvation. We get that. But Jesus is telling us right here, that was, to, that was a payment, and even without it, he's, he, he is greater. Now, without it, we don't have it. But He's telling them right here that He is it. Because they could have crucified a lot of people. It wasn't going to do nothing for us. It has to be Jesus. He is the salvation. Verse 25 24, he says, get my gospel. Verse 25, he says, you better or watch out. Truly, truly, 
I say to you, an hour is coming and is here now when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Guess what that dead means? It's not talking about the grave. That's not those in the ground. That's dead hearts. He looks at them and he says, Pharisees, guess what? Jewish leaders, guess what? There's a group here that were dead yesterday. And they heard my voice. They believed in faith. And now they're alive. Because I'm here to speak life into the dead. I'm the long-awaited hope giver, life grantor. I am here. And the result is those who hear Him will live. This is supernatural hearing. This is spiritual hearing. Oh, that God today would give each of us spiritual ears to truly hear His Word. A spiritually driven heart to truly focus on Him and live in this each day and stop living like dead men and women who are terrified of what may come. Oh, that we would hear Him and He would take us from death to life continually. Salvation is once. Just as one man died for sin, one time redemption, okay? But we die in this selfness, in the self of who we are. May we today remember to hear constantly the voice of Jesus. Verse 26 says, For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. The Father is the essence of the perfect eternal life. Therefore, He can give this life. He's given it to Jesus with the remarkable divine abilities to do it too. We don't get that. He's saying, I get it. He's saying, he's like, I get this. But I want to push it on you. I want to show it to you. Verse 27, He has given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. The Father has given Jesus, like I said a minute ago. He is not, I said, truly, truly. He's saying, listen, here it is. He, he does not come into judgment, pass from death into life. Those are, that's, that's those who hear the Word and believe and put pure faith into it. But here's the problem. Those who don't. The Father has given him the authority to hold out that judgment. Jesus is one and the same, the life and the judge. He is the freedom and he is the guard. All his humanity, all his greatness funnels down into humanity and he gets both headships. He says, Do not marvel at this, don't be surprised. Don't be shocked when it happens. But an hour is coming when all, of the, all who are in the tomb will hear His voice and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. He said the time's not yet, but there will be a day when all who have ever been created will hear the voice of Jesus. And they will not be able to ignore it. They will respond to it. Let me be real clear here what this does not say. If we look at verse 29, we need to be real clear what this does not say. This in no way says doing good gets us to heaven. This in no way says you can be good enough. Jesus has just laid out for you how to get resurrection. He is now talking about those who have died. This is a physical death here in this portion. He is talking about those. He's actually got a dualistic term here that means Spiritual and physical death. There's an idea of both being said in this passage. And here, this resurrection of life is talking about both. 
Those who here today get resurrection. Those who die without and, and, and did it in their lives, they get a secondary resurrection. Their good that they have done is belief in Christ, not anything else. Not walking ladies across streets and carrying grocery bags. You know, not rescuing dogs and cats. Not um, doing all the great things that people do to serve churches. That's not what he's saying. He's saying those who have done good, to do good, you've accepted the, fa- the Son as being co-equal with the Father and being the authority in your life. You've accepted His life in faith as your salvation. That's what the doing good here comes out to if it's broken down in the original translation. And those who have done evil, done evil has one word, reject. Have not fully accepted. And, you know, we teach the kids, and maybe you taught this to your kids, or maybe somebody taught it to you. If I ask you a question and you tell a partial truth, it's a full lie. Right? For those who partially accept Jesus, they are fully rejecting Him. Those who partially reject Him, might as well go ahead and push it all the way away. This word, done evil here, means pushed it away. Didn't take it in. Didn't allow spiritual ears to hear the voice of God through Jesus being the mouthpiece to change that heart and awaken it. He says everyone's going to respond and everyone's going to stand in front of that judgment. That resurrection judgment. I have two quick applications for this passage today. Two applications that I think we need to understand and I've said them throughout the message, but I want to make sure we hear them real clear right now. Number one, the most important application of this entire passage is will you receive the gospel of Jesus and His salvation if you have not? Will you fully trust and fully believe in Him who came down and said, I'm from the Father, He has granted me the power, and through my word is the life of resurrection. Will we believe that? Will we step in and say, I'll take that? That's number one. I could spend all day the rest of today there, but you heard the gospel in this passage. Jesus is here to turn evil to good, dead to life. He is our salvation. The second one, if you truly have ever accepted Christ, the second one is how do we live? And there's a, it's, it's, a little, it's a little tricky because when I read through the entirety of Scripture about our salvation, I read that if we truly accept the Father and allow His Lordship in our lives, then the second step here is our life. It's how we live. And it's proven in that and people can see it in us. But at the same time, being human, I resist sometimes my righteousness and I resist my salvation by how I decide things and how I live. And so it's tricky. How, how do we pose, juxtapose this second position versus claiming salvation? It's one, of either, it's one of two. Either we never really have the salvation or we just really have never grown in that salvation. Well, I'm going to claim for myself because I know that where my heart and my mind are, where my belief system lies at the feet of Jesus and at the cross. So I know where I am in that, and His salvation has taken over me. So I have to claim that the position that I sit in is never growing enough. Because the second thing we see here is, are we going to submit to the ultimate authority of Jesus? The word ultimate doesn't mean huge. It can. It doesn't mean grandiose. It can. Ultimate means in everything. 
It means, are we going to believe in the authority and submit to the authority of Jesus as given to him by the Father, not only for our salvation, but also as the judge of man, therefore the judge of our hearts, in everything that we have and everything we do and everything we touch and every hour that we work and every book that we read to kids and every time we write a check or, or swipe a card or spend a dollar? Are we going to believe in him for every time we have to go out and be in the world and around the world? Are we going to submit to his authority? Are we going to give in to, the, to whatever's popular, even if it's not ethical? Are we going to give in to the pressures of, our, of people around us, even when it's not exactly in line with God's word? Are we going to teach um, those around us to watch us and say, we're believers, we're believers, but I might also stray and do these things on my own because it fits my schedule better. Where are we going to be? It's difficult. Salvation is simple. The gospel is simple, but I said it's the most difficult truth, truth to live in. Ted Turner one time said that Christianity was for those who are mindless and weak. And, and, and when Jane Fonda accepted Christ a few years ago, she went to him and she said, I dare you to try it then. And he told her, I can live how you live. Easy. And after two days, he was supposed to spend a week with her. After two days, he said, this is craziness. This is craziness. I'm not going to pray about spending my own money. I'm not going to let it me th- I'm not going to think about what I have to do when I make a decision. Ted Turner. And she said, Ted, that's why you'll never know Jesus. And I, and I got a chance to watch part of her interview and her, her testimony about how disruptive her life has been to people and how much she's hurt people. Talked about her protesting the wars and the movies and things that she's been in and how, how much she regrets them. But the most amazing thing at the end, she goes, but man, you know what? When I understood that the grace of God is even good enough for me, I'm glad to live in that now. You know, I don't know where Jane Fonda, how she lives or acts or where she stands as, as far as every single theological doctrine in Scripture. But in that interview, in that one momentary interview, okay, I heard her say, I've, I've learned to submit everything the grace of Jesus in my life. Submission is an ugly word. Subordination seems like an ugly word. But if Jesus, who is one with the Father, can be in functional subordination to the Father, how much should we, so far from the Father, turn off our... Guys, come on. Y'all know we have pride issues. Why can't we turn off that? So the question is, do we have Christ for sure? If so, are we just putting out rotten fruit because we're resisting that submission? Or do we need to make sure that we have Him? That's what Jesus tells the Jews in this passage. I'm here to give you the Father through me. With that, you're going to have to understand that because of my Godhead, you're going to have to submit to me. And I have ultimate judgment authority. So he comes in two ways. He comes, number one, as judge. 
and, and, and let's use the word executioner. I used that word earlier unintentionally, but he, he, he is rightly dividing righteousness from death. Rightly dividing those who are dead from those who have believed. The greatness of that juxtaposition of who he is, he is also our resurrection and our true life. Psalm 107, 1 and 2 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. You could say, whom he has redeemed from death. When we understand that our redemption from death puts us into a subjective position under him, it actually shows us and teaches us that his grace has redeemed all those other issues in our lives. His grace has redeemed our finances if we submit it to him. His grace has redeemed our family if we submit it to him. That doesn't mean our family all becomes believers and are saved and going to heaven. I have to make sure I clarify that because there's churches that teach that. It, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect and simple. It doesn't mean we're going to have the money we always want or even need sometimes. But what it means is he's redeeming it because he's redeemed us. Will we lay the authority of Christ on our heads? Will we allow that to sit and run everything on us, in us and through us and what we do and what we say, how we live and how we handle it? If so, it's going to change who we are. It's going to change how we give. It's going to change how we think. It's going to change who we are. And if we can't do that today, I pray now that you search your heart to make sure that you know him who you're claiming to believe in. Because he doesn't, he doesn't have a two-way street. Father God, your word is so clear for what, you, for what you taught the Jews. For what you told them about yourself, Jesus, and your relationship to the Father. For what you explained to them of your authority, but ultimately... Ultimately, it was not about your judgment. It was about your life-giving salvation and what you wanted to lay upon those who are willing as according to your will, God. You can save the life of those that you will, and God, we are so grateful for that. May we confess today with our mouths and with our hearts, be full of true faith that you would come and take over if that's the need of our heart today. And if not, God, reestablish your rule within us, those who of us who may be struggling with submission to you and giving over to you. God, let us make you our Lord and our King of our lives. Because why not? You already are Lord and King. Why not just submit to you and live in your righteousness and your peace and your hope and your grace and your love 